How people buy in B2B. Welcome back to a fresh episode of Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning, and to check out my free guides and playbooks, podcasts, resources, or whenever you're ready to apply to work with me, head over to samdunning.org. So joining me today is returning guest. I've got Ryan Paul Gibson. We're chatting exactly how people buy today in B2B and doing a customer research masterclass. We're going to be diving into things like why B2B execs don't suddenly wake up one day and decide to invest a ton of cash in your offer. We'll talk about key insights that Ryan and his team have garnered from over 140 B2B exec interviews. We're going to talk about why you need to be doing customer research in the B2B setting and at what stage it can be beneficial and a bunch of tips around gaining those insights to fuel your messaging, positioning, marketing, much, much more, and of course, a bunch of no-nos when it comes to customer research. So with that said, welcome back, Ryan. How are we, sir? I'm wonderful. I The rumor is I'm in an elite club. You've only had a few people back. That's the rumor on the street. The rumor could be true. I think to date, we've only had maybe three, four, five max returning guests. So it is a very elite golden ticket wow. membership so well thank you golden ticket i'll look for mine in the mail <laughs> <laughs> but yeah pl- a pleasure pleasure to have you back man Looking thank forward you so to, much and no worries if, I'm, if i may i just want to um i want everyone to know that i've, I've downloaded your seo playbook and it's fantastic I, I used it myself for my own business so everyone go download it now appreciate it dude appreciate my it pleasure. so as we always do let's dive into this episode how people buy, B2B, right? As, as far as I know, when it comes to kind of purchasing B2B, be it software, be it SaaS, be it service, yep. don't, don't execs just roll out of bed one day, get the sleepy dust out of their eye and think, I'm going to spend 75K on this piece of software. Oh and then they just wire the, wire the cash across. Isn't that how it works? If only they did. It would make everyone's lives easier. No, they don't. Um, and I, I think, you know, have, doing this for 21 years now, often there's an expectation that as soon as you show them the thing, people will buy the thing. But I want to unpack like why that sort of is. So problem, the, the adage we often use is that, you know, we're trying to solve challenges and solutions in B2B with our solutions that we're selling people. The thing is those problems don't manifest, you know, immediately. They, they sort of um, bubble up in the, in a business over time. So what I mean by that is, um, you know, something they have some maybe process that they like that they have that's core to the business. Okay. Some type of challenge appears in it, whatever that might be. All right. Some type of friction point, some type of thing breaks down and they audit it and, you know, they need to do X, Y, Z. Now, what they often will do is they'll figure out different approaches to solving that problem. That's another thing. Look, we don't, buyers don't often compare solution to solution, they compare approaches. What are the ways, uh, plural, that we can solve this challenge based on, you know, our business model, how we go to market, what our objectives are, how we define success. And they will, you know, look and evaluate at these, these approaches. And then over time, they will whittle it down to a short list of things that they focus on that they think will have a higher chance of succeeding. And then that's when their intent is most high, right, about them choosing something to use. Now, here's the thing. Um, I don't know what your sales cycle is, Sam. Um, say, let's just say, for sake of arguments, three to five months. So, And that's three months of someone saying, I need SEO help. God help me. I have no idea what I'm doing. And then you close them in three months, let's just say. The, they've probably been dealing with that problem or thinking about how to approach that for two to three times that timeline. You know, sure. Anywhere from nine months to you know 12 months. And it varies within businesses. I, there are large to medium-sized businesses that take at least a year to evaluate a solution. Evaluate, not think about the problem and how they're going to solve it. So, you know, then what happens is they'll whittle down to a short list and they'll evaluate. And that's when your high intent deals sort of take shape and you either win the deal or you don't. So you need to understand all that process for you to actually influence it. And that's why B2B executives, or even if they do buy, because most aren't involved in purchases, 
Um, you know, that is why they don't just wake up and buy a thing. Now, I will say if it's it's like a low risk, low cost solution that sort of fits easily into a tech stack, let's say like a calendar scheduler, right? Um, that usually has a higher propensity, a freemium product led thing, right? Uh, it's a different sort of animal. But for the most part, what I've just described is on average, how B2B buyers typically at work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a nice rebuttal. And I agree with, like you say, when it comes to perhaps low ticket stuff, whether that is a piece of software like a calendar scheduler, social media yeah. scheduler, something reasonably straightforward that might be 10, 20, 25 bucks per month. That's relatively low risk. Doesn't need yeah. a buying committee. Doesn't need a ton of thought because you can probably just use your credit card, sign up, get that job done. But like you say, when it comes to more riskier investments that could perhaps put your job on the line, put someone else's job on the line, put your own job on the line, put, put your business at risk, then it needs yeah. a lot more thought, a lot more consideration. It's not something you can just suddenly invest in, especially if you're a marketer and perhaps you need to get sign off from other execs in your company. Absolutely. You need to get them on board that it becomes a lot more detailed and in depth, I suppose, right? It does. And because the cash that, you know, the, the cash they're using to buy your solution or service comes from the cash that feeds the entire operations of that business, right? Mm. You have your budget, right? If I'm say it's what you sell the marketers, right? I might have a marketing budget, but let's just say the tool is cross-functional. You know, the solution's cross-functional. It's going to touch multiple departments. Now you're starting to get like multiple people involved. You know, they're all having discussions about what's the best approach and why. You know, I've talked to buyers um, going up market where IT, you know, really becomes an obstacle because what they want is you to use the existing infrastructure for everything, right? So, you know, there's there you have to understand the contextual nature of how these things work. Because if you don't, it's going to be really hard for you to influence that entire journey um, um, as a marketer and as a salesperson to get like a qualified pipeline of people in the door and then work them over that timeline we just talked about, right? Which could be anywhere from a year to two years. Got it. Let's take a little step back. So sure. when we when we when I asked you about no one waking up deciding to spend big money on on software service or or ever, what else, whatever else it might be. So we talked about perhaps it, it gets to a certain stage, it gets to a certain point when maybe the problem they're facing, maybe some kind of system slowing down or it's called it causing them to lose time or they've realized that they're losing resource or they're losing cash. Yeah. Usually gets to some kind of head, gets to some kind of tipping point because the problem came, became so big. Tell us um, a bit more about what, what you see when it comes to organizations and a bit more about what that looks like for some context. This is how I sort of look at the world of B2B. So most solutions whether that's a product or a service, they live within a larger process. So what I mean by that, uh, one way I try to frame that is HubSpot. HubSpot is not marketing. HubSpot supports the process of marketing operations, right? So it fits within a larger business process, which is their go-to-market strategy and supports it in some way. So you really need to understand how your solution fits in because that's where you understand how it supports or how it um, addresses all those challenges within that process. Let me give you an example. So I worked with a company. They had a piece of software. It focused on um, automating chargebacks. Chargebacks is the process of you disputing an online payment that you made, right? Service product. And what was happening with their uh, one of their best fit buyers, which was customer success teams, was they were getting distracted from their core mandate, which is helping customers succeed and having to hire people, train people, absorb headcount um, to deal with chargebacks, which is like fighting with the bank to try and get your money back. The customer success directors were just like losing their minds because they didn't want to hire people to deal with that. They wanted to hire customer success teams to help customers who were paying and, you know, trying to do more things. That was their mandate. That was a key challenge, right? So you have to look for those friction points uh, and understand them because that is where the what we call, often call them buying triggers. That's where they live. And that starts that process of people looking for approaches. Sorry, you want to say something? 
No, no, I was saying I was saying that makes sense in terms of like you say, when a problem becomes I like to use the, the term juicy enough. Yeah. But perhaps it's it's painful enough, it's frustrating enough when it gets to that certain point that it's causing your business some kind of yeah. harm. It's in in that case, perhaps people are wasting time when they want to be focusing on actual customers rather than trying to mess around with these yeah. other other bits and pieces, right? And that what that looks like, what those pains and challenges, those obstacles look like are going to be different based on a whole variety of parameters. The business model, where they sit in the organization, what their core objectives are, how they measure success, um, you know, what their resources are, so on and so on. So you as a marketer have to understand contextually what those things are within that business and how you support that. Because if you don't understand that, you're going to really struggle to influence that full spectrum journey um, that we've talked about, right? And I audit hundreds of buying journeys a year. So I see mm -hmm. these patterns unfold over and over again. But there's specificities in each of those buying journeys from my clients that they leverage that then go to market so they can start influencing that holistic journey. Got it. Cool. So we've established that it's rare that prospect yeah. your target prospects are going to wake up and buy your shit. Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna take some serious thought, depending on probably the impact that it has internally on your organizations, things like how many stakeholders need to get involved, how much of a problem it is right now, how much cash they're gonna have to invest, and various mm -hmm. other factors could impact the timeline that it costs from well, that it goes from the initially them deciding they want to fix it to then them speaking to a vendor, to then then taking that time frame to evaluate potential vendors. To eventually yep. closing the deal so it can be especially an enterprise level service tech SaaS deals could be a long old game so you mentioned a keyword just now ryan which was influence yeah and that's as b2b companies that's something exactly we want to be, be doing we want to make sure our company is top of mind ideally mm -hmm. long before they even see this as a frustrating juicy annoying problem absolutely so by the time they get to that evaluation stage we're number one on the list yeah so when it comes to influence, it's a really great word to use. How, um, what is like the, what's the stepping, what's the first thing that we should have in our mind if we want to start utilizing customer research to make sure we can be the, the number one pick? Yeah. Well, there's a few things, right? So first off, I like, I actually like to go start with sales or anyone who's touching the customer, um, in a high, um, high level, right? So customer success, product people, sales because they often have a good understanding of who you need to go and do a deeper dive into. And they're going to give you that first pass of insights, right? Cause they all, they have a great sense of like what's happening in the market at that high intense stage. So you start there and you figure out who it is you want to go talk to in the first place. Then you go and find those people and you understand step-by-step. Step, what is that process that, you know, we just talked about over say a year to 15 two years, 15 months to two years, what is each incremental step they use to identify those problems? Why those are the problems they want to solve? How do they go about evaluating? Where do they go get their information? Who do they talk to in the organization? And what is that entire process right up until close one? And if you talk to enough people, you'll start to see the patterns and themes arise of like, where do they go? Who do they talk to and why, right? Then you're going to use all that to sort of build out all your go-to-market processes. Now that's a very generalized uh, view of it, but that's sort of your first stepping stone because- Let's, let's go into those... that a bit more before we skip forward. Yeah, so you've mentioned speaking to CS, product and sales yeah. team. Yeah. What, what organizations are we going to first and foremost before we dive into kind of what we should be asking them? Like out of those three teams, like what should we- yeah, like are we going to recently one customers? Are we going to potential prospects? Or who do you recommend yeah. that, that we actually interview there? It depends on what you want to know, right? And it depends on what your objectives are as an organization, right? What I Why I like customer in-depth customer research with the way that I do it is that it unlocks insights for a whole bunch of different things, right? So it can help you understand how to make more informed choices about your product. It can help you increase your uh, win rates. It can help you lower acquisition costs. But let's just say for what I do, which is a lot of buyer research, uh, you have to sort of focus on people that 
probably have closed in the last 90 days. Or you can focus on people that have no knowledge that you exist, which sounds a little crazy. But what you're trying to get at is understand that process I was talking about before. What do they do before they even know you're around? And how do they eventually get to something like you? That's a key thing to understand. Now, if you do enough interviews or you do enough research, you'll know buyers typically start with like three channels, right? Which is communities. They start with their peers and other vendors. I bet you probably get this, right? Like you probably have other customers ask you for recommendations about how to do other things. Sure. Right? So that's typically where they start. But you still need to understand, like, what are they asking about? Why are they going to those peers? When they talk to them, what happens after they talk to those peers? You know, I'm, I'm try- I'm, so I want to start with a customer that can help me fix or help me get insights into what specific part of the journey I'm going to go after. Because if I, if I talk to someone that's been a customer for three years, they're going to have much different answers and much different intelligence for me than someone that just closed, you know, nine days ago, right? Versus someone that's never t- uh, talked to us at all. Those are different types of people. They're going to give you different answers that will help you unlock different parts of the business. Gotcha. And did you say before we look to go direct to those customers, perhaps ones that we won in the last 90 days, or perhaps more suspects rather than prospects that maybe fit our target client persona, but aren't actually customers yet or don't know about us. But before we do that, we should go to our own customer success product team and sales team to get some insights from those folks first. I think so. I mean, they're a wealth of knowledge. The, the thing is, they just have a, a contextual view of the business. Because as we all do, right? Everyone is focused on a different part of building the business. So they see everything through that lens. And salespeople see things through deals. Customer success, success people see things through the challenges customers have using the product on the existing level. Mm-hmm. Uh, product people hear about you know, how the product, the intricacies of the product, the nuances, and the new features they need to build. So no one is actually looking at that whole part of the journey we talked about, which is maybe, you know, 15 months, a year before they get to that high intent conversation. That's your job as the marketer to figure out like what that looks like, because that's the part you have to influence. But you can start figuring out who is the person to talk to about that journey by talking to your peers in the business about who are they seeing that they think has the best chance of converting into future revenue. Got it. So they're good for identifying the type of prospects that you want to be having these these conversations with. I think so, yeah. Is there anything else we should look any other forms of intel that you like to get yep. from the CS or sales or product? Close, um, you know, average contract values, close and length of close cycles, different markets. Right. There are a lot of, um, I work with a company now where originally they thought they were going to, you know, really lean into like SaaS companies. But it turns out they're actually selling well into things like healthcare, finance, like very traditional industries, right? Where software is sort of just a part of supporting their business operations. It's not the thing they make. So, you know, you really have to understand all those parameters because your job is to build a qualified pipeline so that sales has a higher chance of closing these things, right? That's your job. And you can't do that just by looking at a dashboard. Or listening to sales, you know, listening to sales calls, you'll get inklings of it, but it's not the same. Gotcha. And then let's go a bit more into once we actually know the the type of kind of recent recently won customers yeah. or target prospects that we want to be interviewing. Are there any? I know there's a whole bunch of questions that you could ask, and it probably depends depending on what you're selling or offering or providing. But yeah. are there any key ones that you think these are these are must ask questions for every core <laughs> interview? No, I don't know that. Not really. (laughs) I mean, yes and no. You're right. It's the classic depends scenario. Um, I I I think how I look at I look at it this way. Hmm. If this is your first time doing it, definitely have questions and objectives, because it's going to be really hard for you to navigate the nuances of how people give you information. So what I mean by that is. People don't just give you willingly the things that you need and the insights you have, not because they don't want to, it's just their brain doesn't work on instant recall the way you hope it does. So your job in an interview is sort of help them recalibrate their thinking and jog their memory about things that have happened. 
and give you answers in a way that is useful for you. Because they might think they're going to be giving you something that's useful, but it's not. So how I structure this is I will take an, I'll write up my objectives. And let's just say my objectives is buyer research. That Understand that first part, right, where it helps, really helps marketers. You know, what I want to do is have an objectives of, and, or themes that I want to understand. So, you know, maybe I want to, I want to have a talk track around what the, understanding what the buying triggers were and the catalysts, because those are key. I want to understand how, what the conversations were like within the organization about the different approaches they were going to take and why, where did they go to learn or, you know, we often ask like, what did, how did you find us? And people are like, Oh, Google. And they're like, yeah. sure. But I try to I try to get more to the heart of it. Like, who do you trust to tell you information about how to solve this problem? Where mm. did you go to learn the various approaches? And a lot of this, what I mentioned before, is like communities, peers, existing vendors. Great. What did you talk about them? Why did you choose them? Why those communities? You know, why are they credible? You know, what that those are the things I'm trying to understand. And I, I want to map out every point of that process until they till they get to close one i was a reporter for about three years right an investigative reporter so one of the things i learned was is that was that process of investigation which is narrative timelines facts I, opinions are great for like reviews case studies you know hot takes on this is the best thing you've ever used you want to know seo go to sam dunning like that stuff's great because that helps with like higher intent but what i want to know is like that actual journey they took what are all the things they did and why mm. that's investigation those if you can map that out then what you're going to start mapping out is all the insights and how to influence that process they take to get to choosing you say that three word term again ryan was it narrative um it's actions actions act um i want actions events and timelines okay Action events timeline. I like that. Yeah, because if that is the process they go through, it doesn't mean that the things that they say that are subjective and colorful are not important. But this is research. It's an objective process, right? Then what you're going to do is take all those things and turn that into your marketing, which is in some ways subjective. But that's the trick. That's the key thing for me of how I use interviews and why I'm such a fan of them. It's mm. not so much that, you know, the, the thing you see on LinkedIn, you and I live there, talk to your customers is like, you know, every third post and that's fine. But talking to them is not the point. The point is actually sort of having a process um, that gets you from what you want to understand to the actions you want to use in the business to improve the things that you want to improve within the business. Yep. Nice. So I think you and I have got a little bit of an upper hand on perhaps some of the people that are listening to this or others may tell us no. So you used to be a, did you say you used to be a journalist or interviewer? It was, yeah, for three years, yeah. Got it. So you, you've had some background on this to a certain extent, running these kind of interviews. And I've done 350 plus podcasts. So yeah. I guess I've got a little bit of experience of interrogating people and trying to pull some <laughs> pull as much free information as I can. I don't can use that word. I don't use interrogation. <laughs> I can use it to guess, but probably not prospects or customers. It might piss them off. Um, yeah. Now, so yeah, we, we have some some experience, right? But yeah. when it comes to asking people questions in general, you and I both know that usually, not always, but quite often the first answer they give you is quite surface level. Yeah. You usually, like you said, like when, when it comes to evaluating these kind of uh, softwares, tools, et cetera, where do you typically go? They might say, community google but we know you need to dig deeper yeah like why do you use there or are you sure that's where you went first was that your very first action or did you do something or think about something first any tips for people tuning in to yeah. for why you shouldn't take someone's first answer as gospel and how you can get a bit deeper without perhaps frustrating your interviewee the prospect or customer that's agreed to take this interview yeah this is the art right and i'm sure when you started you're it's different how you do it now compared to before. Um, I've racked about 1900 interviews, right? And one of the reasons is what I said a few minutes ago is people just don't naturally give you answers that give you depth. 
uh, in, when you ask a question for a whole bunch of reasons. So I think one of the things you need to understand is like, how, what is the art? How, learn the art of a follow-up question because the insights live in the follow-ups. Uh, the most classic follow-up or probing question is sometimes they call it is why, but why can start to sound like an interrogation, <laughs> to use your word. Um, and that's not what you want because these people, you want them to feel at ease. You want them to feel like it's an environment where it, it's they can share things. So mm. rephrasing follow-up questions is key. I will use techniques such as, that's interesting. I, I really want to dig into that a little more. Or I have not heard that yet. That is fascinating. Let, let's, uh, let's expand on that one. There's all sorts of ways you, you, can, you can do that. So that's one of the reasons, because people just don't give you the answers right away. Um, I think also you, wanna re you really want to set the stage. This is no different than when you have meetings, you know, when you um, are going to have calls with people, they want to be on a podcast, right? Like you sent me a framework of what you think you wanted to talk about prior to us having that discussion. Be very specific about what you're trying to get because that puts them at ease and then they won't just sort of go all over the place. Right. Because how you ask a question, they might interpret in their brain in the few seconds they listen to it as thinking, oh, this is what they mean. And then they give you an answer, but it actually has it was totally off the rails compared to what you want to know. And then the last thing I'll say is people have a, a tendency to jump ahead in time. So think about when you're someone's telling you a story and you ask questions. They will often condense maybe three months of activities within to three sentences, and that's fine because they're trying to sort of get to the end. Your job as an interview is sort of take them back. And that is, I think, the key one, because if you're trying to understand that narrative, right, that process of how they actually came from here to there, they're going to keep like jumping ahead in the timeline. So you have to sort of figure out ways to bring them back. And sometimes how I handle that is I will write, I can understand when those key pivot points are, you know, I talk, they talked to IT and IT said this, or we this challenge just appeared out of nowhere and i'll write those things down in my notes as i'm conducting an interview and after they finish uh, you know give me some insights i'll say i want to go back to something you just said you just mentioned this a few minutes ago let's start there again what happened next mm. after that happened all that takes practice sam that's not something you're going to learn how to do initially but i think you know, I have a, a guide on my website. It's basically everything I've, I've learned over the last 20, 21 years being in marketing, three years as a reporter, and then doing this for the last three years. I, I think when you look at a lot of the frameworks for how people use customer research, something's like really hard and dense for them to figure out all these frameworks. So I just sort of stripped everything down. I'm like, here is a very simple process of how you can structure an interview, get the things you need, conduct the interview and then pull the insights out because that's what at the end of the day I've realized marketer over the last few years marketers need is a simple process that they can get things quickly because they need to go deliver results in the next two quarters and that's key so how do you get a system for that keep and that's doing getting to that point is some of the things I just talked about excellent excellent I like the I like the framework I like the actions events timelines getting to the, to the hard facts yeah. essentially means you've got to dive deeper, but all of that starts with a almost like a great sales call, really setting an upfront contract, setting up front agenda, if you will. So there's no hidden surprises. Yeah. There's no hidden decision makers as we often see in the sales world or anything like that. But before the call, we're saying that this is, yeah. this is what we plan to discuss. This is why we plan to do it. And this is what you're going to get out of it. And we're hoping to achieve. A lot of this is similar to what you would do in a cold outreach customer discovery call which I know you have done, you do, right? So it's really about listening and understanding their issues at the beginning. Less talk, more listen. And the more you can do that sort of thing and really start to peel back, you'll see like how uh, much insights you can get into uh, you know people's day-to-day -day and how they contextually look at solutions in a market, a category, right? Similar to yours. Awesome. So... 
before we dive into customer research and practically doing it, yeah, we talked about influencing our target prospects at each yeah. stage of their process from no awareness at all of your offering to having a bleeding neck problem that they need to fix and then some eventually deciding that perhaps your solution is the one they want to put at the top of the list. So that's more of a marketing angle of using yeah. customer research. Are there any other plays that we should consider doing customer research for that can yeah. benefit a B2B company? Uh, Win-loss. Absolutely. Win-loss or win-win, right? Um, sometimes you, you learn more from the one deals than you do um, for the loss deals. I um, I still work part-time for a SaaS company and they have, um, I know other companies, I've done this before in my career as well, where they have weekly meetings where they go through sales calls and it's marketing and sales together. Like you want to get the alignment people talk about, walk through a deal from start to finish. The average, like an average deal of your best fit customer. You know, why you, why now? What were the objections? Um, you know, where did they run down? Who do they have to talk to to get buy-in? What did the um, the blockers in the comp- their company say? That's a key one, right? There's other ones. Um, other types of conversations I like are like brand identity. So that's more about the perception of your business um, from the lens of a customer and what they perceive you to be as opposed to what you believe it is. Um, churn is a good one for a SaaS company. Um, or, you know, you I don't know if you have a monthly retainer model, but you might have someone churn. You know, why? What was happening? You know, why were we no longer a fit for them? Um, that's another one. I like UI UX, digging into a product, right? Um, or even customer service businesses can really benefit from that because the onboarding process and how you serve a service a customer over the course of time you know, there's probably processes and things you need to put in place and implement. That's a much different conversation than the stuff I do. And that's going to impact a very different part of the business because that's going to, you know, your NPS scores are probably going to go up if you can do that. Um, You know, retention is going to go up if you can sort of focus on that, all those things, right? So there's different, it gets back to like, what are, what is it you want to know? What are the goals for the company over the next couple of quarters? What are the insights you need? And then how are you going to how are you going to structure the conversations to get those insights? Then action those insights into the business. Got it. Yeah, there's there's so many ways that you can tweak it, customize it, position it right. So like taking yeah. my world, if I'm maybe doing customer research for a a brand brand's new website design and build, if we're going to interview yeah. kind of their target prospects and understand things like what are the most top three most frustrating problems they face in their world what usually leads up to causing those to be a problem how do they go go about looking for those what are the kind of words the insider jargon they use to actually describe the solution the problem the issue um yeah how do they go about finding vendors in those space when they they need that that offer these google these community all that kind of stuff that we talked about what kind of stuff do they care about seeing on your website like, do yeah. they want to see pricing fast? Do they want to see an on, online demo or all those kind of things? Like you say, you can customize it depending on whether you want to improve a product, improve your website, or like you mentioned, improve your marketing, which we can talk about in a sec. So there's so many different use cases that you can tweak these these interviews for to, to optimize and I guess make best bang for buck. Absolutely. It's all a matter of what you want to know. Right. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be your sole source information. There's other things that are going to inform that. Like I said, mm. dashboards, sales calls, communities communities are a great one of intelligence right so you um you go into communities that are focused on specific uh you know either professions markets what have you you can find a lot of really good intelligence there because i know they're talking about your products there right or competitors of yours how are they talking about them why you know what how are they articulating them what are the trade-offs they're talking about oh you can use notion for this but you can't use notion for that right i had a i posted the other day a whole thread of people comparing Active Campaign, um, I think it was Paddle and Notion as a CRM. And it was a thread that went on for like six or seven posts of all these founders comparing them. That stuff's happening all the time. So those are really good points of reference to understand what are the words customers are using to talk, uh, to customer words customers are using to describe you and your brand and your product, right? 
because that's really what matters at the end of the day. You can you can try and force whatever jargon you want to into the market. At the end of the day, com- customers use their own uh, jargon. Let me give you a really good example. So there's an accounting software. Uh, I won't name it. Um, it's very popular around the world. Their customers use an acronym all the time. Like it's constant. But in their brand guidelines, they tell you, you if you're a partner or someone that's working using their, their, their branding, you can't use that acronym. And I've always been so confused because like, that's the word their customers use. <laughs> so Weird. why would you not why would you not lean into it? They're, they're so upset that you know they're not controlling the narrative. But at the end of the day, to me, how I interpret that, it's a signal of of love for that brand. They've created their own acronym for it. Mm. And they share that acronym in their communities. Why would you not lean into that? That so, is strange, isn't it? It is, but that's soft, That's often, you know, we, we create all this friction against uh, what we want customers to do when we should be flipping it and like, how are we fitting in contextually into the world that they know, right? That's the key, one of the key things that this stuff unlocks. Yeah, interesting point earlier as well. You, you mentioned about that you don't necessarily just need to rely on kind of customer interviews themselves. You can dive into communities and like you say, that's probably where, a lot of it's unhinged because people are going to type what they want. If that's a group Slack channel, I don't know, something like Ref Genius, and one yeah. founder asks, what do you think I need to get a CRM for my sales team of five with yeah. this this level startup and this is what we sell? What do you guys recommend? People are just going to give their un, unheld back opinions and that's yeah. where you're going to get those juicy nuggets of what people really think and how people really talk yeah. about your offer behind closed doors, right? Here's here's what I would do though, Sam. Let's just take Let's extrapolate that example, right? So let's just say I'm comparing HubSpot to ActiveCampaign, and I see that happen five or six times. Now I know a landing page to make because I guarantee, guarantee you what people just did after that is they went and Googled HubSpot versus ActiveCampaign, right? So you, you probably would know that by hopping into uh, SEMrush, Ahrefs, whatever, right? And maybe see that. I don't know. You probably have better knowledge than I would there. But what you... What I've talked about is something in the wild where people are actually comparing it. Mm. And you can start to see the language of how they're comparing it. And it's so fascinating because now I'm as a marketer, I'm like, okay, now I need to understand how do people talk about us when we're not in the room? And you can influence that. So you, oh, you know, yeah. and the way to do that is to understand how they make those decisions and how they talk about these things. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you say, that's that's almost gold dust. If people are, especially if there's, if people are really singing your praises, and you can use, maybe you can grab a new use case or a new way to describe your offer or a new problem that you fix or a new job you help people get done. And yeah. if you see that, that's almost gold dust to use in in that copy for those competitor or those alternative landing pages, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Nice. So let's go back to the interviews. We've done some interviews, but what I didn't ask was. In your recommendation, how many potential prospects or how many existing customers that we won within the last 90 days, how many should we be interviewing? And then I want to talk about what insights we should be then leveraging to get back to our influencer being the marketing influence we want to be. Yeah. So people debate this um, across all disciplines, I find. So what I mean by disciplines is, you know, I've seen product people give a different number, you know, people who talk about, you know, validate a business model, give a different number. I'll tell you what I say. So let's just say we have traction in a market product market fit is sometimes what people call it. Now you, you have to understand a term called insight saturation, uh, which is um, used in qualitative qualitative research is what I do to use like an academic term. So I've read peer-reviewed studies on the ideal sample sizes for qualitative research. Super nerdy stuff. No one should go read it. Hmm. I have done it for you. Yeah, I've done the thing you don't have to do for your be on your behalf. So this people don't believe me when I say this, or they they sort of get taken aback. If you plotted all the insights that you that you start to hear over and over again, like within consistent consistency right so 
let's get that example I gave uh, a, a few minutes ago about chargebacks, right? I'm hiring headcount. You know, I've hired, I've doubled my headcount uh, to deal with chargebacks and it's, my budget's got eaten up. What you'll notice is you might, you'll start to not hear new things. Like, so you'll start to hear that over and over again after about seven interviews. Right. Right. It doesn't sound like a lot, right? But that's where the bell curve starts to sort of go over the other side of the cliff after seven interviews. We start hearing, you don't st start hearing new things anymore. It maxes out typically around 12 to 15. You've captured 99% of the insights. And when I say that to people, that actually feels less daunting for them to go out and you know capture some key things. The caveats, though, are, you know, go... You have to do the thing that I talked about a few minutes ago. Talk to your colleagues, dig in the data, and find like that best fit customer for your specific research objective. Because if I talk to an IT director of a hospital, an IT director at a Fortune 5000 software company, their titles are the same, but those are not the same job. And even if they're using your software, there's going to be different ways that they talk about it contextually within that world. Let me give you a really example. So I worked with an enterprise company where I am in Ottawa, Canada, and they were winning 80% of deals in the healthcare space um, against companies like Oracle, Sage. Like they're a scrappy enterprise startup from Canada and they're beating these massive billion dollar companies. When we dug into why, it's because when you spoke to their customers, and they, they started talking to them in the sales process and looking at their literature, they had just by happenstance over the last few years hired former healthcare CFOs to be part of the client success onboarding and sales team. So as soon as they got into the room with these CFO, CFO to CFO, the words they used just matched instantly. Like there's mm. this instant chemistry. They understood our world. They were closing, they were coming in from behind on these deals, but closing 80% of them. So you need to understand, you know, who is the fit? Because if, if I if I talk to like a hospital CFO and then a nonprofit or a CFO at again, like Salesforce, they're different. Right. So the data is not going to be consistent. You're not going to hit that insight saturation. You're actually going to bias a lot of your data and you can make bad decisions. So that's the key part. Seven to twelve interviews. Make sure the people—it's apples to apples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've you've got ahead of me with with the uh, the repetition side of things, seeing patterns yeah. in those answers that you're getting. So, give us an example, Ryan, of when you say repetition. When you say after seven interviews or so, you'll start hearing similar things, and you'll realize that you've kind of got to a point where you've got enough insights yeah. to leverage. I guess what this this will vary a lot, but perhaps give us an example of. The company you've interviewed and what you've what you've heard yep. and how that looks like and then once we've done that how we can then take that oh. to influence our our marketing goodness be our messaging be our website headline whatever we want to got, it up to i got the perfect example so if you go to my website i have a case it's called my one case study and it's a riff on case studies with sales teams because everyone they always want a new case study which they usually do need but I, it's just sort of a tongue-in-cheek thing uh it's a software company here uh, where I work in Ottawa and they had an acquisition of something, a product that fit well into their portfolio. And we used the founder intelligence, uh, business intelligence to go to market first. And some of it was right. You know, we were getting leads in, but we weren't really seeing the revenue growth and projections that we wanted to see. So I got tapped to go in and understand why. Because sales was the one, the team that was sort of raising their hand first and saying something is off here based on like what they've told us, uh, you know, with who they think the, their hypothesis around their best fit customer versus, versus who's coming in the door and actually buying. So we went and talked to a section of buyers. And what was really interesting was just for context, Rewind uh, provides backup and recovery software for SaaS platforms. And they just bought a GitHub um, product or a GitHub product in the, to put into a portfolio. The key thing that kept coming up 
when we talk about approaches, right? Remember we mentioned approaches. One of the approaches that the best fit buyer, which was an IT person, was taking was they were trying to build their own version of Rewind in-house. And that's common for companies, especially people in the software realm, because they just want to buy, build the thing in-house and use existing resources. But we knew something they didn't, and we knew that they would always fail based on how the APIs fit, work together. It's like how the softwares talk to each other. So the one key language, the key thing that kept coming up was, I, I was building backup scripts and they kept failing. We probably heard that about maybe five times out of like the, the 10 interviews. And that was enough for me like, okay, that's interesting. So what did we do? We built an entire landing page focused on that narrative and put ads behind it. Stop building backup scripts. On that page, installs doubled within a month, right? Those are like what a huge win for such a small, not small, but you know, a, a very concise effort. There was still a ton more to learn. And and mm. that journey of them understanding their best of buyer, like it's been three hours talking about, especially now that Rewind's moved up market into the enterprise space. So, but that's such a key thing that you, people listening now could do tomorrow, right? Like could find one of those key things using that voice of the customer work, one of those key challenges. You don't have to go change your website. You can just build a separate, land. you can get Sam Dunning to build you a separate landing page, right? And then, you know, put some effort towards that, right? So it's, you know, there's all these things. That's such a key way to like get traction in the market and understand how you can like get ahead of people and build a better pipeline. I hope I answered that question. Okay. Yeah, you did. And the thing about that is that it can be used not just for marketing collateral, right? Like that problem that was basically the bottleneck of when those prospects were trying to build that software internally. And that was yeah. the problem that was then causing them to, evaluate other other companies to help them get that job done is you could actually use that in sales outreach absolutely demand gen to say what well, remind me of what the issue was say the issue again uh backup scripts backup scripts yeah you, yeah. you have messaging around that or if you're absolutely. doing a cold outbound you could say ever facing issues around your backup scripts and they'll be like oh shit yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and if you're running ads to like cold prospects and things like that like yep. that's really going to resonate because you've hit yep. home with that that issue I want to talk about cold outreach really quick, if I may. I, I know there's a lot of flack to it. People have been doing it for decades. Like, that's not new. I, I started 21 years ago. I used to get cold faxes. Like, you, I'd be sitting in the fax machine doing the filing in the filing cabinet. That's how long ago I was been around. And I'd see the faxes come in, and it would be the same nonsense you see in cold DMs on LinkedIn now. It's just like a different sort of format. Here's the thing, though. I've talked to buyers that have bought from Cold Outreach. I've interviewed them. Here's what they tell you when you ask them why. They say, oh, because it was incredibly relevant uh, to what I wanted at the time. And they seemed credible as an organization. That though, That's very key because most Cold Outreach is not that specific. But if you can have something that's very credible, you just gave the example, right? If I know the person and have their personas and their psychographics, and I can get that sentence in front of them and, you know, use some of the cold outreach stuff that we have, there are companies that still build, like if they started zero, if I'm a startup and I'm trying to go to 1 million in repeatable or recurring revenue, outreach is still a really great way to do that, right? It's just understanding like what is relevant and what's credible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. A lot of it is you've, you've got, of course, have a average contract value per year to, to warrant outbound activity typically. Yeah, that's true. That but is true. I think it's like the crux of marketing and, and, and outreach in general, isn't it? Right timing, right message. Yeah. You've got to resonate. So you've got to have that juicy problem that your target customers agree is, yeah. a, is a juicy problem. Absolutely. And then if you can deliver it in a way that's, whether that is an outbound message or whether that is, an advertisement, whether that is on your landing page, on your homepage, if you can deliver it a way that's distinct and directly speaks to that prospect, then you're going to have some success. If you're just yeah. going by what you think works or talking about how great you are or how long you've been in business, then you ain't going to be around for too long. No, because what when that does matter, though, is when they've actually, you're sitting in front of them and they're trying to understand if you're the right option for them. You know, that's when it's 
important that you've been in business 12 years, that you worked with all these clients, not at the beginning, because they don't know who you are from a hole in the ground. Nice, nice. So we've done the interviews. We've interviewed seven, maybe 12, maybe 15. Yeah. Maybe 15. Can, we've, let, we've got an idea of how we can look for those patterns. You've given us a nice example of how we can take a, a problem and leverage that for our messaging. Yeah. Anything else we should be doing? Uh, yeah, communicating everything in-house. It's so... Your new insights, if they are new, and sometimes it's not new, sometimes it's just filling gaps. But here's what I've seen happen. People get excited about new research, especially marketers, right? And even salespeople. But when you start... Um, you know, communicating all these new insights into the organization. It's not that they don't necessarily land the first time and get internalized and actioned. You might as the marketer uh, for some things, but I've been in meetings where with my marketing colleagues, they've talked about the old ways of doing things, even though we just did a round of research and there's fresh insights around, you know, things we should be doing. And I've had mm -hmm. to correct them as politely as I can, because I don't want, they're not wrong. They're just operating with old intelligence, right? And it's hard to get out of that habit. Mm. So there's a few ways you can do that, ways that I've seen it. One is in traditional, like have an internal doc, great, right? Um, in meetings, make sure that you call things out. Um, if you have like an, some type of wiki, so like Notion, Confluence, what have you. One thing I really like um, is with now with AI, I've seen this out in some communities, you can create workflows where, um, let's just use Gong, not, I don't, I don't use them, but I just know them as a sales call tool. Sure. You can highlight key, you know, insights that can get fed into Slack, right? And pop up instantly or like new sales call recorded. You know, here's the synopsis via everyone, right? Like you have to sort of keep a lot of those things going or what I've done in some of those um, weekly calls and deals when the person, a person gets, um, we start talking about the deal. I'm, I'm checking out their LinkedIn page. Like the person who bought, I'm on their website. I'm reading like everything. And then I'm sharing key things that's consistent with what we've seen before in the research to sort of re, um, what's what I'm looking for, but like, you know, um, it sort of nails down and reinforces that we were right with our research. Right. So there's all these little things you can do because it's, it's it's a continual learning expedition. We want to make we want people to understand that, you know, what we did was for yeah. a key purpose. The all time we took. Yeah, all, all for that. I did a, an episode on getting B2B stakeholder buy in. And I was pretty much saying the same stuff as you there, like prove, prove wins as little or small as they are in every yeah. channel and, and send that. I don't know whether that's an email, whether that's putting in the Slack channel for your team or however you can report that to the rest of the team. Yeah, like show them because as frequently as you can. What I want to have happen is if we have really nailed down our best fit buyer and how we influence that journey, I want us to keep putting resources into that and not let it slip because that's what's best for the business. So I want that to always be the case. Now, what we haven't spoken about actually on the stakeholder buy-in side of things is yeah. it can be difficult. I mean, if you're a small oh, startup, then yeah. it might be easier. And if your founder's all for it, or if you are the founder doing the customer interviews yourself, then obviously you can just learn, get the insights and crack on and get it done. For a mm -hmm. small team, you can probably do much of the same if your founder's all for it. However, when you get to larger organizations, there's a lot more red tape. It's going to be a lot more difficult to, to get these things moving. Yeah. What's your experience in terms of, especially if it comes to, I don't know, things like re redoing your homepage, messaging on your website or changing some of your key landing pages or your ads, then it could be that hot top level execs are getting shaken up because you're saying, look, I've ran these interviews and I've proven yeah. that the problem we think we fix is not what we fix. And here's what our buyers actually want to do. And here's the jobs they really want to get done. And this yeah. is what we need to be doing because here's the proof. I've got the recordings. I've made the write-ups. Let's get it done and start yeah. ramping up kind of impact of, of these channels. Yep. When they say, hold on, we've had this for years and years. We're not suddenly changing this. I mean, yeah. What do you recommend they do? Well, first, you got to speak the language of executives. 
pipeline, cash flow, you know, acquisition, all that stuff. Um, they care about the big strategic problems. So you need to understand how you tie those efforts to that. So I, I think that's the first thing is, is talking those languages, right? So if you want to say, listen, I want to increase, um, I've talked to sales. Um, I feel like with this new intelligence, we can increase uh, their win rate by 5% over the next two quarters. I want to see if we can do that. That is like a different conversation than I want to change the messaging on the homepage, right? Because what you're doing is you're, you're actually focusing on the larger thing as opposed to like the thing that you want to do that might not be in their purview. Right. So that's one key thing. The other things you can do is you can test it, right? Um, we talk about A-B testing at, at length in marketing, B2B or B2C. The reality with B2B is that we don't have to have a lot of volume to test like A-B. But what I can do is I can create, I, I can spin up a landing page now within an hour, right, these days. Ten years ago, that took me much longer to do, right? Now it's I can do it almost instantly. And I can test those things in the market, right? So however I want to do that, I can... I can create a landing page. I can put into communities, put some ad behind ad work, ads behind it. I can, you know, DM it in an ABM strategy to, uh, you know, 20 people that fit our, our criteria. Like there's all these ways. And then what you do there is it's not affecting sort of the IP you have, you've established over five years. It's a test to understand if you've done your job well about gathering insights. And then you report that back to the executive team. Like you can't just go and expect to, turn water into wine instantly you have to show that you're getting incrementally towards a goal and objective that they care about i hope that answered the question but that's like that's how i yeah think you're you're similar i mean you're definitely right in terms of c-level execs speak their language speak in terms of how how it's going to impact perhaps website traffic which will then improve inbounds demos which is yeah. then going to improve our bottom line and, and like you say you've probably got to start with a smaller experiment or example that then can prove that this is something that's worth making that monumental change. Absolutely. I, I was going to give my recommendation, which probably no one should take, which is it's better <laughs> to seek forgiveness than it is permission. Oh, you um, can do that. I've I can get away too. with that being a founder. Yeah. So I yeah. can quite literally spin up a new homepage, spin up a new landing page, start testing this message. Yeah. Change my podcast ads, do, do anything I want. But yeah, if you, if you have got a chance, like let's say execs are shooting you down left, right, and center, if there is something you can do as a marketer, small scale, maybe that is like you mentioned, Ryan, building out a small landing page or building out a small email campaign or building out something on a small scale, just so you can yeah. prove that it resonates with that target market. And then you say, holy shit, that actually worked really well. Then get that across the leadership, then you'll start getting by. And if they see you're getting signups or you're getting some kind of improved result, then they'll be foolish to turn it down. Yeah, I, I think so. I think you just have to understand the process of how these things work. I mean, I've sat on a leadership team at a company and I understand how budgets get allocated. I understand the pushbacks, uh, pushback that other teams have against why we do certain things. So you, you just have to really do your job about building the case and that's not easy for a lot of people because they want to sort of go and get results instantly and do the thing. I get it. I've been there. But there's all these competing interests in a business of things that we want to get done. Why do you get to do your thing? So you actually, customer research though, is actually really great at like helping you build the case because it's all there. The, the customers do the work for you of building the case. You just have to take the insights and sort of mix them in the right way. And then sort of go to mark with them and see what comes back. Like a nice cocktail. Like a nice Friday cocktail. afternoon here. So I'm, I was I'm just going to say, we're rolling into the weekend. I'm always ready yeah. for one, man. I'm, I can feel <laughs> it. Cool. Good stuff, Ryan. Look, I appreciate you sharing these insights. So I want like, one last thing from you, because yeah. I know you've said that you've ran, is it 140 audited B2B customer buying journeys? Yeah, I did. What were the top one or two insights that you took from those? Because that's a yeah. ton, right? Yeah, so I, I worked with uh, a friend of mine, uh, Alon Even. He's um, a fractional CMO, and he's, he messaged me one day. He's like, "Put them all, put everything you've done together in the last little bit." I'm like, "Okay." So I went through them and audited them all, and, and sort of pulled out like top insights. And 
the key, like the key thing for me is, was like what I always like to understand trusted sources of information. That's different than where do I research? Who do I trust? And the top three, like 67% of the sample out of 143 interviews, uh, the top three sources were peers, communities, and existing vendors. That's where they start. So when we, if we go back to the beginning when we were talking, you know, when that pain starts to sort of permeate and get to be an issue, where do they start? Who do they trust to go and ask what the approaches they should be taking? Peers, communities, vendors. Now, community is a bit of a, a nebulous word, right? That can mean a whole bunch of different things, right? Mm. But that could be, because that could be LinkedIn, right? I just drop a something on LinkedIn and people give me their hot takes. Now, it doesn't mean that they're going to, this is where they choose the vendor that they are going to go with, but that's where that short list starts to get built. And that's where they devote more mental availability to the solutions their peers recommend. Like that was a key one for me because, you know, we always talk about like word of mouth referrals and so on. Yeah. Uh, that, that's where those things start. So your, I always look at that as, okay, well, how does that translate into marketing? I need them to understand if their next action is to Google me, then I need to understand what is it they care about? What are the, what's the information they're looking for? How do I seem credible? You know, what are the words that they want to see? Because when you ask, that's also what really comes out of the 144 interviews I've done. When you ask them, like, why did you keep talking to this vendor? They understood my world. They seemed to get it. You know, I didn't have to explain. They just listened and they seemed to innately, you know, have a, a really good size, uh, um, sense of the problems and the issues. So, you know, here it is. When B2B buyers care about evaluating your solution, relevance and subject matter expertise, you know, is it relevant to my world? Do they know what they're talking about? I want tangible business outcomes. Show me what you did, right? And how it moved the needle. And you'll appreciate this one. Discovery calls that feel like discussions, mm. not sales or demos. Listen to me. Ask me questions about my business because that feeds into sort of them, you know, having credibility around what you do. Those are the things that matter, like how they define you. And then when they want to talk to you, what are the things that help you rise above all the other vendors they're talking to or approaches that they're taking? Those are the key things that stood out for me. That's still very general, Sam. Your job is still to go in and figure out like contextually, what does that mean within your target buyer? But those are the key things that rise to the top. Legend, legend. And this is probably a bad business thing, but a lot of companies I speak to, especially when they say we need SEO, I, I actually tell them SEO is not the best bet for them, Might especially if they're in like a category that's not well established, so people aren't actually searching for their offer, their product, their service, their solution, or maybe they're a startup and they haven't got that much cash yeah. to actually invest in it properly or they don't have internal resources. I'll say, well, ditch SEO for now because it's not relevant. Understand, like you said there, the prospects, who exactly is your target market? When they get this problem, when it gets to that tipping point, what are they going? Where are the trusted places that they're going to get their sources information? Yeah. Are they going to some kind of Slack community group? Are they hanging out on LinkedIn? Are they going to YouTube? Are they listening to a certain type of podcast? If you can get that at this stage, it's going to be far more beneficial for you to start yeah. putting out content, putting out your messaging, whatever, than investing in SEO when you probably don't have the cash to see it through or you probably don't actually have the right type of prospect searching for you. So what you've said there is, yeah, I think I think it's bang on the money, Ryan. So look, appreciate the, the chat. It's been an enjoyable one as always. But please yeah. do tell us more about how people can find with you, connect with you. And I know you are running a deal on your guide. Yeah. So let's point the audience to how just, we can get the just for it. Just for your audience, just for the people that like you. No one else. Um, yeah, so Content Lift is my company. Um, you can find me at contentlift.io. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm there way too much. My wife doesn't get it. Um, and I have a few things. So I have a list of questions that I have on my website, which is my first SEO play, which is when I used your, your playbook to help inform how I did it. Okay. And um, that is free. You can grab it. It's there on my, uh, you can get it through my LinkedIn or on my website at contralift.io. 
But I also have my DIY guide, which is running how to run customer research interviews that don't suck. Um, it's everything I've done in the last 20 years. You know, how you, and it's things we've talked about, but more in depth, right? So how you structure them, how you find them, what do you need to talk about, which ones for what purpose, uh, how to conduct them. There's, there is um, examples of interviews I've done and I take you through like the different points of interviews and inflection points and how to navigate answers. Like it's a ton of material and I even built a GPT. Uh, so I uploaded like everything, all my knowledge and like every LinkedIn post, uh, different podcasts I've been on, it's uploaded all into um, the GPT. So if you have a GPT subscription, you can go and just ask the DIY guide a whole bunch of different things and like spit out frameworks for you. So yeah, I have a, a discount code for everyone for like 50% off that I'm going to share with everybody now. Cool, man. And we will put that in the episode notes, the description. Yeah. Get over to contentlift.io and check out the description for the code as Ryan's book, Ryan's guide, B2B customer research is well, well worth your time. So get over to that. I hope so. Well, fine. Someone to let me know if it's not. (laughs) Yeah, man. We'll we'll link we'll link everyone happy. So yeah, again, appreciate you coming on. We'll put all of those links in the description and the 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 discount code mentioned. No worries at all. Got to give a, a very quick shout out at the end to samdunning.org, my company. So if you do want more free book playbooks on SEO, B2B marketing, go to market, any of the other podcasts, or to apply to work with us, head over to samdunning.org. And as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, a rating or review is very much appreciated. We can check more episodes over at businessgrowth.marketing. And Ryan, thanks again. Enjoyed the chat. We should catch yeah, you yeah. soon. Thank you so much, Sam. I always appreciate uh, talking to you. And- Thanks for having me on. And cheers for everyone to tuning in. Cheers.